So the journey has begun and here on the close to the first leg of the journey I'm fond of the idea that the word journey comes from the French word jour, day. My understanding is it meant the distance a person traveled in one day, and each person travels a different distance. So it's your, your distance, it's your journey. And uh, certainly is a journey to be on retreat because <coughs> somehow or other you be different than you were when you started. How you'll be different, we don't know. In a sense, it's a journey from A to B that's best accomplished if you can be fully at A. So rather than focusing on B, we focus on just being A, here, here with this. And then <clears throat> But you can't really just be here and have nothing change. Partly because to be fully with what you have, what's happening here, is radically different than how most people live their lives, which is focused on B, C, D, E, just all these wants and desires to get someplace else, or focused on not a, <laughs> not a, please. And, um, and so the movements of the mind to get something, to get away from something, to be in the world of fantasy, which often has to do with desire or sometimes with revenge, all kinds of things, uh, is itself this kind of movement to be someplace else, to do something else, to get something else, to have something happen. If that's the common stream activity of the mind, it's actually a very radical thing to do to stop doing that and just to be here. And so things change. One of the things that change is the all the different ways that we've constructed ourselves and the momentum we have in ourselves around wanting and not wanting begins to unravel, begins to fall away. And, uh, and you can't be the same because you'll have less yearning or longing, less greed or ambition or expectation or less aversion and hostility and trying to get away. So the very act of just showing up at A, the very act of just just being here fully for this experience, is in fact a fairly radical thing for most minds to do. And it's a journey, I think of it as a journey. So it's a journey from A to A. So you're not really going anywhere. So that's the bad news. But it's also the good news. Because what better to be here at A as if maybe you've never really stopped to be it, to be yourself, to be present. You've never really relaxed enough or settled enough into this moment 
so that to say it mildly, so that it's enough. To say it in grand terms, which religious people sometimes like grand terms. We should be very cautious about these religious teachers who use big terms. So, but I'll use one. So maybe it's not just enough, it's splendid. <laughs> <laughs> just here. There's a um, fairy tale of a woman who is um, back in the days when marriages were arranged and uh, her parents arranged for her to marry a hideous monster, ugly, scaly, slimy, gnarling teeth and fiery red eyes and just you can fill in your imagination that's bad as you can get and so she wasn't so happy about this idea she didn't know what to do so she went uh, into the forest and found a wise woman what do I do this, this monster is hideous and um, and the wise woman said, well, when you dress for your wedding, put on ten wedding gowns. And then when you go to the wedding chamber, ask the monster, tell the monster for every wedding gown that you take off, for the monster to take off one set of scales, one, one piece of its skin, like a snake takes off its skin. Maybe. And so there, next to the wedding bed, she asked the monster, I'll, I'll take off my dresses if you take off your skins. So one came off, one came off, and, and by the time that she was finally standing there without any dresses, taking off her ten, the monster was about to take off the tenth set of skins, the tenth set of set, ten suit of skin, scaly, slimy, ugly skin came off, and the monster was just as ugly and slimy and hideous. <laughs> <laughs> but that wise woman had given one more set of instruction. And that instruction was to, once all the, all the dresses and skins have come off, to embrace the monster. And since she trusted the wise woman, she did so. And when she did so, the monster turned into a beautiful, shiny, attractive human being. <laughs> so, um, some of you, some of you, have this problem that the world is your ugly, hideous, slimy monster, and you're the bride. Guess what? You got to take off your dresses. 
Some of you are the hideous, ugly, slimy monster. And in order to, and the world is your bride. In order to connect wed to the world, you have to take off all your skins. It's actually easier to take off the dresses than the skins. But you know, you don't get to choose. One way or the other, these things have to come off. One way or other, we have to let go of so many of the things that we are running away from, chasing after, take off so many of the ways in which we build ourselves up and create identities and, and uh, attachments for ourselves. So many ways in which we create dreams that we try to pursue in a way that takes us away from ourselves. So many ways in which we put on black wedding dresses of resentment and anger and revenge. And some of us have red wedding dresses, red, blood red from all the suffering that we identify with and still hold on to. And it's a difficult task to be able to relax, settle in, and to arrive in at A, really be here, without all these layers that have been added on. Sometimes layers have been added on over the years of our life. Layers, some of them that close us, close us down, some of them which become armor, some of them which um, have us avoiding ourselves, some of us which, which kind of build us up because we've successfully put, it, put beautiful crowns on our heads that we want to show off. All kinds of things that we do to kind of, then all has to come off. And so that the beauty of mindfulness practice is that uh, you actually don't have to take anything off. You just have to show up and see it clearly for what it is. Show up really, he be here for this what's happening. And if you're here, really here for your experience for this, but really here, here in a way where there's a clear mindfulness, clear knowing, oh, this is happening. then the skins, the dresses will begin to be shed. They'll, you'll feel the dresses are no longer needed. You'll feel and sense how all the different ways in which we operate to try to avoid the present or attack the present or fix the present or build up the self or destroy the self, all the things that we do, all the ideals and shoulds we live under, uh, they actually hurt. They actually involve a certain level of stress and tension and pain to live under. And discovering that, realizing that, is part of the wisdom of the practice. They say, it's been said, that uh, no one comes to Buddhism without suffering in some way. And I don't know if it's universally true, but it's pretty close to it. And so I imagine that in some way or other, that in the background of any of you coming here to this retreat, 
there's some kind of suffering that uh, somehow set the momentum or in the background of coming here. Maybe you're not suffering exactly here at this retreat, but there's probably something behind here. And perhaps some of you have suffered today, this first day of the retreat. And that's not a mistake, it's not wrong to do so, but rather it's what we're asked to be present for. It's either the monster or it's the bride that you've been asked to meet. And then we meet it and that we allow somehow to be simpler with it. To be simple with it is to take off a dress. Simple presence. And this is, I think, one of the remarkable things about the family of mental faculties that's related to mindfulness. Mindfulness, attention, awareness, noticing, knowing. There's all these different things that we can call it. But the, this idea of being aware, to know, to be mindful, and to do it as simply as we can, meaning to just know, just be present for, without added layers, without judgments, without shoulds, expectations, without entangling it with our sense of self and this is who I want to be and who I shouldn't be. But this radical, radical simplicity of being, simplicity of knowing. Even if you can't be, have a simplicity of being, maybe you're the most complicated being here. That's okay. But a simplicity of knowing that. So the other day, we opened, yesterday I guess. The journey's been so long already. <laughs> Uh, Max talked about um, the difference between what and how we are, what's happening to us and how we are. And that's really one of the real keys of doing this mindfulness practice, is to focus on the how. How we are as we are present for what is. We want to be with what is. We don't want to deny it or turn away. But how are we with it? And so, and one of the hows is to be mindful, to be aware, to hold it in presence. But how simple can we be in that awareness? Can we do it without an agenda? Can we do it without knowing all the different steps of practice and, you know, all the things that are supposed to happen and layers of concentration, levels of concentration and stages of insight and you know, stages of awakening, and there's all this stuff that these poor Buddhists learn, if you read too much, or listen to too many teachers, like me, and then you have to unlearn. <laughs> Maybe it would have been easier if you just, I don't know, if you just didn't, it's just simple presence here, just now. I said this morning here. How simple is it here? Does anything need to happen? You are looking at me expecting me to talk, but <laughs> so I guess I should continue, but it, what you know 
I don't think much needs to happen. But if we expect something to happen, if we demand something to happen, if we want something to happen, if we're counting on something to happen, have we kind of missed the boat? Have we kind of missed the opportunity to just be here for this? So it takes a while to take off the dresses, the skins. It takes a while to really discover how simple mindfulness can be. And, uh, and so we practice mindful. We practice the best we can. We keep showing up. And the first day of retreat is often hard because for many people the momentum of thinking is so strong. Some people, the main thing they're mindful of is that they're not because of how strong the mind is. And it's okay. That's, uh, it's a lot better to know that you're not present much than to not be present and not know it. You're on the right track. And the whole support here, the simplicity of this lifestyle for the retreat, the not being engaged in social conversations, having a regular schedule, regular meals, going around kind of slowly, a little bit, the whole lifestyle here is meant to be one that supports us to kind of relax and settle in to be here. And even if, uh, you know, I kind of sometimes think that even if you didn't do any practice, if you just lived this lifestyle here, you know, came and sat for 45 minutes and just, just didn't do much, forget about meditation, just sit here quietly in silence. Go for a little walk for 45 minutes, have a meal in silence, come back and sit here for a little while. You never, no one's ever taught you anything about meditation whatsoever. I think that uh, you'll be changed by the end of the week. Something will settle, something will simplify, something will let go of. So much. This, this whole container, the environment here, supports us. And I say this because especially the first day of a retreat, many people take a lot of responsibility for their practice. It's up to me, I have to strive, I have to work hard, you know, and it's already 10.30 in the morning and I, I, you know, and I haven't gotten to where I expected to be. And a common syndrome on retreats this first day is that people will have a regular meditation practice at home and it's great, it's been nice. They feel calmer at the end of their 40 minutes of sitting or something, it's been nice. And then I'm ready for a retreat. I'll just, I'll go further. And then they sit, and maybe the first sitting's kind of nice, like that home, and the second and third sitting, and then it gets worse. <laughs> their mind is busier, they're more agitated, they're more in pain, and, and what happened? I was supposed to go, it was supposed to go only one way, and it's going in the opposite way. And so we have these expect expectations, we want it to be a certain way, we measure it. So here's one of these little known secrets about retreat practice. If your practice is, is sincere, I mean, you give it your best, there are no mistakes. It's not a mistake that your mind spins out. It's not a mistake that you have emotions coming through. It's not a mistake that your body aches. It's not a mistake that 
you drop your plate of food at lunch line on the floor and it shatters all over in the silence. It's, it's, just, it's just another thing that is to be met, another thing to be with. To discover how you can be simple with this. The simplicity of just this here. So it, I think in, in my idea, in the heart of it, mindfulness is pretty simple. Simple recognition of what's happening. And a lot of what we're trying to do in that practice is to discover how simple it can be by beginning slowly over time to notice how we make it more complicated than it needs to be. How we add all kinds of expectations and ideas on top of just simply knowing this here. So how are we? And um, uh, as mindfulness, as awareness, as presence develops, the Buddha talked about with that development comes the development of what's called seven factors of awakening. Perhaps for simplicity's sake, we can call it the seven factors of awareness, of simple awareness or luminous awareness, or if, you're, if we dare use the word splendid awareness. Where it's, we're kind of here, aware, present, in awareness, here. And it's a little bit like if, you, if you're really aware and present in a simple way, it's kind of like the way that... a little seedling in the garden is simply there and aware. And the sun has come out. And this, with the sun, the water, and nutrients in the soil, it begins to grow. So we are organic biological systems, mind and body. And if we create the clarity and the simplicity, the openness of awareness, of just being present for this and allow what's here to be here, this biological system will begin to unfold, grow, and change. The how we are will change. And one of the ways the Buddha talked about this is the seven factors of awakening. So, so first one is mindfulness itself. So it turns out that mindfulness grows with mindfulness. The second is investigation. Kind of, kind of exploring, getting to know better what's here. The third is uh, effort, engagement with what's happening, engagement with the practice, with life. The fourth is joy. The fifth is tranquility. The, the fifth, the sixth is samadhi, concentration. And the seventh is equanimity. And it's my task today to kind of try to cover mindfulness and investigation. And then later in the retreat, we'll cover the others. But I wanted to just mention these seven. They're not practices to do so much as faculties that are already present for us that we can begin recognizing that they operate. They're here. And perhaps they're here in a very small way at first. But as we settle in and are here at A, here, here, really here in a simple way, these other faculties will start kind of to grow and 
grow in the sunlight and become stronger. And so part of what we're, why we're talking about the seven factors of awakening is to help you recognize that they're here. It's more of a, to recognize, oh, there it is, I see it now. As opposed to, and this is one more thing to do, seven things to do, I mean, gee. But if you can recognize it, that the, what's, the good things inside that are recognized, that exist in awareness, grow and develop. The afflictive things, the forces of suffering that we have, tend to dry up and fade away the more we're aware, if the awareness is simple, non-reactive, kind of see it clearly for what it is. So in trying to kind of convey what these seven are, I want to uh, uh, provide you with um, one word synonyms for them that are kind of like little mantras or little, you can just, you know, you can listen to these words and perhaps, you know, maybe feel or sense uh, what resonance these words have with you or what they touch inside of you. And do they touch something or reveal something or remind you of something that you have already or have experienced or some experience you have with them maybe right now. So the word that I associate with mindfulness, I've already told you, is here. To be here. And one reason I like here, because if you're really here, you will be aware. And so mindfulness doesn't become something you have to do so much, but it's something you allow. So for mindfulness, I like here, to be here. What experience have you had of really feeling, oh, I'm here? Simply, but wonderfully, here. And where else, are you, where else are you going to be? The problem with um, trying to get away from here is just take it with you. <laughs> you can't get rid of it. It's one of the few things you can't get rid of run away from here and you're still here. So here. The second is the factor of investigation. I think of it as with, uh, associated with the word what. What? What is this? But not the kind of what that's actually looking for an answer. So we don't want to kind of be analyzing or trying to figure out an answer to the question what, but it's more like the qu question what, like, what? Maybe almost like with a sense of amazement perhaps, but what, what is this? And then we, in that, asking that question, we allow the experience to reveal itself to us. So what, what is this in-breath? So then we allow ourselves to feel and register more fully the movements, of breathing in, maybe the movements of the belly as it expands. So we're there if we feel it more. So the question what lends itself to feel more fully, sense more fully. Let it be known more fully. So, so getting an answer is not really the point. 
So what is this pain that I'm experiencing? Same thing, allow ourselves to feel the pain. Sense it. But in sensing in, in the what, what is it? To be as simple as possible with it. What's a simple mindfulness? How simple can the awareness be? Is it possible to be with the pain without being for and against it? Without coming to conclusions, this means that my retreat will be a disaster, or this means that I'm a bad meditator, or this means that I'm doing something wrong, or I have to fix this. Maybe you do if you're going to injure yourself, but you know, ordinary meditation pain. And, um, you know, simply, a simple registering, something here with this. What? What is it? Oh, it's like this. And, um, and what can be quite interesting is that uh, many of the things that occur to us are actually different than what we think they are. And so, how do we get behind or th get through, get the other side of our thoughts and concepts to allow ourselves to experience it more for what it actually is? So for me, the question of what is meant to kind of open up the curtain so we're not conceptualizing and thinking and have stories about what's happening, but we're allowing ourselves to really take it in, sense, oh, it's like this, this is how it is. And what I'd like to propose to you is that this idea of what and taking it in, being present for it, can be an act of strength, an act of personal power. Because in saying what, we're not the victim of the experience. In saying what, we've kind of, in a certain kind of way, taken charge. We're like, okay, I'm going to be present for this and get to know it. As opposed to being pushed around by it or caught up in our desires around it or our aversions towards it. It's actually a movement of freedom to ask, what is this? Let me be with this. Let me feel it. Experience it. So, so I associate investigation with the word what. The effort, vitality, the engagement, I associate with the word this, T-H-I-S, this. And um, it's kind of like, so it's like this. It's kind of like an opening to the experience. It's kind of like accepting it. It's kind of like, so it's this. It's an engagement. Oh, it's like, it's this. Kind of like a kind of like stepping forward and saying, "Oh, it's this. It's like this, here, now." So it's um, I, th for me it has a kind of energy to it or engagement to see this is my experience. To to oh, I'll be with this joy is a word which I similar to this, which um, for me uh, is the word yes. It says whatever is happening, whatever the A is, whatever is here, there's a way of saying yes to it. 
which is a little bit like, even if it's painful, even if it's difficult, there is a kind of lightness of being, or a kind of well-being, or a kind of sense of joy, or gladness, or satisfaction, or contentment. In the kind that's, I repre that's represented by the word yes. If what you do is represented by the word no, <laughs> you'll know suffering. No comes with suffering. If it's yes, and I want it for myself, if it's yes and I'm going to have it, you'll suffer as well. But there's this, oh yes. Kind of like a yes that's kind of open, open-hearted, open-minded, open to, oh this too. The fifth factor is tranquility. I associate with the word relax, to relax. When the, the most detailed instructions the Buddha gave for meditation instruction, prominent in those instructions was relax. English translators usually translate the word as um, uh, tranquilize. But I had this idea that in English, just, you know, if we say tranquilize yourself, I think it, uh, somehow I don't think it goes a little bit. Some Americans will go to the medicine cabinet then, <laughs> since we're a country, many people who tranquilize themselves plenty. So just relax. And one of the, this morning I talked about relaxing the thinking muscle. And uh, some people, maybe you won't understand, not everyone can understand this, but for some people, when there's a lot of incessant, a lot of powerful ongoing thinking, usually there's some kind of physical expression of that, some tightness, some pressure, some tension, somewhere, sometimes in the head, in the upper head, sometimes in the jaws, the shoulders, some place that's associated with that thinking movement. And um, and it helps uh, to relax that thinking muscle, thinking energy. Because if you only let go of your thoughts, but the energy or the tension or the pressure to think is still intact, that pressure will just pump out more thoughts. But if you can relax that thinking muscle, then you're, you know, you don't need to think so much. It's kind of like if you stop squeezing the tube of toothpaste, the toothpaste will stop coming out. And maybe thoughts are just like toothpaste. Mm -hmm. Maybe it's a bad analogy because <laughs> because our, th our thoughts too often give us cavi cavities <laughs> and toothpaste doesn't. So, um, and then um, the word samadhi, or concentration, the word I associated with, is steady. To be steady. To be steady in your body with whatever's happening. Find a steadiness. A steadiness in your mind. Be steady here. Find a way of being steady with the attention, mindfulness. Be steady maybe in your heart. The true heart is steady. 
So is there some way of not wavering, being steady? And then um, the last of the seven factors of awakening is equanimity. And uh, and this is my, uh, the word that I often, when I teach about it, I say that it's um, America's, one of America's great contributions to world religions, world religious life. It's America's one of the greatest mantras to come out of American soil. It arose, it was, it was coined apparently in Boston in 1820, and it spread around the world. You use it every day. It's probably more and more prevalent all the time because it spreads on the computers. It's the wonderful word, okay. It's okay. And that's the word for equanimity. It's okay. It's not, it's okay, you approve it or affirm it. That's, that's another wedding dress. That's just one more thing we want to take off. It's also not, you know, the opposite, denial and rejection. That's another wedding dress we want to take off. It's, it's, it's okay. It's like this, and it's not a problem. It points to the possibility of simple mindfulness. Just here, with this, it's okay. My knee hurts, it's okay. If I get a clear signal that I'm damaging myself, I'll move. But for now, it's okay. I'm sad, it's okay. There's no mistakes in the practice. Sadness maybe needs its time in the sun. You don't know what's working through you when you're sad. You don't have to know. Just allow yourself to be with it as simple as you can. Simple presence, simple awareness. You're afraid. How simple can you be with your fear? I think one of the great needs our fear has is a need to feel safe. And can you help your fear feel safe? So it's okay to be, it's okay to be afraid. Simple awareness, simple mindfulness. Oh, this is fear. What, what is fear? This fear. A certain kind of way, yes to fear. Just like you would say, kind of, you wouldn't say it, but if a little, little child, two, three year old, was really afraid and came to you, you would say it's okay but part of you would kind of go, yes, here, come here, dear one, I'll take care of you. The kind of yes of compassion. So here, <coughs> what, this, yes, relax, steady, and okay. And what we're trying to look for here is the simplicity of being with what is. Simple awareness. But one where the awareness doesn't wander off into thought. The awareness doesn't recoil and shrivel up because it's difficult what's going on. 
an awareness that from one perspective is brave, strong, courageous. Another perspective is soft and forgiving and allowing and gentle. <clears throat> kind of depends where we're coming from, what it looks like. But it's neither strong nor gentle. It's neither courageous or the yep, I don't know. It just is. The simple awareness in the end, which just is. With with what is. Where we discover, I hope, begin to feel or sense that in the very act of being aware, the act of being mindful, the act of being present, we can find freedom. We can find the freedom that we're not entangled with what's going on, the freedom that we're not troubled by what's going on, the freedom of just those, those two things, not entangled, not bothered, not, uh, we just are. And from that comes wisdom, comes understanding, comes compassion, all kinds of amazing things. It's amazing what our capacities are within. If we can get out of the way, if we can take off all those dresses, or some of you, it's your skin. I don't know how you self-identify <laughs> as the beautiful bride or as the hideous monster. Both are fine. Both get married in the end. <laughs> and both of them get to be pretty human by the time it's over. So, um, so the, as we establish aware mindfulness or awareness, we're here more for our experience. That gives us the opportunity and or to investigate. But it's a kind of a big word, investigate. It sounds like a lot of doing. Uh, so it's, it's not really like probing or analyzing, but rather it's uh, taking the capacity to be aware to now to feel or sense or experience more fully what is it that's happening. So in this case here, if we use the word, keep using the word here, it's a little bit like um, uh, like when you, you know how when um, you ask someone to come over here, you say here. So in mindfulness, here is just, you're here, recognizing that. But here, over here, is like, come closer so I can know you more. I can feel or sense or recognize you more fully. So if you're afraid, come here. Come here, it's okay, come here. I'd like to know you more. I want to feel and sense how you are in my body and where the jitteries are and what's closed or what's tight, tense. Or if you feel joy or calm here. So there's a kind of a richer feeling of the texture, the smell, the taste, the senses of the experience. And a hugely important part of vipassana practice is getting closer, really sensing and feeling more fully whatever the experience is. But you want to be careful that you don't make experiencing more fully a technique. 
that you're going to do. So how can you not make it a technique, but rather to allow, allow this natural capacity we have to, to feel and sense more fully something, be almost like a not doing, almost like an allowing. So if we go stand in the sun <clears throat> on a cold day, we don't, <clears throat> if you want to investigate <clears throat> what it's like to have the warmth come into your body, you don't really do a lot of doing. You get quieter and you allow yourself to feel the sun and the warmth come into you. That's investigation. Or if you hear the traffic, a car going by, so you know it, you're aware of it, you're mindful of it, but to investigate it is to really kind of let the vibrations almost, kind of what it feels like to have the vibrations come into your skull and really sense and feel that experience, so feel that experience, allow it to be felt more fully. If you want to investigate the experience of breathing, it's not to kind of te tease apart all the different sensations of breathing and name them all and get a long list of stretching and expanding and moving and, ta and tenseness and release and pulling and vibration and all these things that can go on with breathing. It's to kind of, almost like you're getting a massage, the movement from the inside. And I don't know if how some of you have gotten massages in your life, but you don't get actually benefit very much from the massage if you analyze all the sensations that the masseuse is creating for you and make a catalog of them so you can report them later. That, you know, you kind of feel it and register it and let it take it in. So I think of investigation more like that, kind of, so it's being more fully here here in a way that's alive, your senses alive, present for this. So you get to know it better, you see it more clearly, more fully. When you eat your food down the dining room, what is this, what is this eating? And take time to really experience what it's like to eat. It's fairly common for people in Vipassana retreats to eat really slow. So they can have a lot of mindfulness for all the different things that go on. There's a kaleidoscope of different sensations and feelings and thoughts and reactions that go on. It's that if we, eat, if we eat and have a conversation, we eat quickly and read the news or watch TV or something like that, you know, there's a great majority of what's actually happening is invisible to us. But if we slow down, we can start seeing the tremendous richness, emotional, intellectual, cognitively, beliefs, ideas, emotions, sensations, that come into play in the simple act of eating. That's investigation. Being present to really feel the richness of the experience, the kaleidoscope of things that they come and go. So we say sometimes that investigation is non-conceptual in the sense that we're not looking for concepts, words, to understand what's going on. The words might come because the mind makes words. That's okay. 
But that's not what the investigation is. The investigation is more than being here in a fuller way. I like to think of it as an embodied way. When I was in Burma <coughs> on meditating there on retreat, I was there during the monsoons. And um, it's one of the natural wonders to be at the, the rain in Burma. It's, it doesn't rain, the rivers come down. It's just amazing the amount of water. But they would start sometimes, as far as I could tell, out of the blue. I was just minding my own business meditating with my eyes closed. And, uh, and suddenly there'd be this torrential downpour on the tin roofs we had. And what I, it was kind of my little, my little thing, my little oddity, I guess. But when that happened, I would immediately switch into maybe more fully in my body and through my body try to feel what has just changed. Maybe the atmospheric pressure suddenly changed or humidity suddenly changed. How was so I would try to feel my way through the body. What is that like now? So this idea of sensing and, oh, what's, this, what's it like? Oh. And I did kind of feel the difference, but I have no words to tell you what it was. I didn't need to have words. It was good enough for me just to be there for it. So to conclude this talk. Buddhism historically is meant to address suffering. I think it's a noble and beautiful and important endeavor to learn how not to suffer, to find that freedom, that happiness, ease that can come. If the journey is to go from suffering to not suffering, from A to B, it turns out the way, the best way there that I know is to be fully at A. Be here in a full way and learn in being here to take off the layers that you have of reactivity and beliefs and ideas that are extra and see how simple you can be. See how you can sit here, how simple can you be, and just be breathing, sitting upright. How simple can awareness be? But awareness is being with, with this simple experience. And how meaningful is it? How freeing is it? How much is, it, is an alternative to the other ways, the layers that we have? When you do walking meditation, to just walk, be with a simple experience of the body walking and the feet walking. Enter into that world. What is this walking? What is it? How does this body of mine experience walking? Maybe you've never asked your body to show itself to you. And settle in for the ride and let the body show you what it is, what the experience is like. So it's a wonderful thing you're doing on retreat, and I want to end the talk by expressing my appreciation for all of you. I don't take it lightly that uh, you know how, that it should be easy or 
I understand that often it's, we have a lot of challenges to do this, and I have a lot of respect and care for those challenges, and the fact that I keep talking about simple awareness, I don't want to imply that it's simple to do it, and that those struggles we have, the challenges we have, there are no mistakes. Each of you is finding your own way, your own journey of the day. So I want to appreciate and grateful that you're doing your practice here. Thank you. So I have a couple of announcements. <clears throat> One is that um, we would like everyone to, um, I think by end of supper, to have signed up for a practice discussion, either tomorrow or the next day. So only sign up for one during those two days. But if we would like everyone's, because that's part of our, we'd like to stay in touch with people and know where it's, what's going on and have a conversation. So um, it'd be nice if you can do it before the end of supper. And the other is a reminder that it's, so it, um, we have a walking period, a sitting period in here, it's 6.45. At, uh, after that half an hour sitting at 7.15, uh, we'll invite um, any of the, those of you who are newish uh, to come up and just sit up here. And if you'd like, we'll have an informal chat and, uh, about what's going on in the retreat, your questions, your concerns, uh, just a way of checking in. And it's kind of a nice, I think of it as, as a fireside chat without a fire. Bring your own. Huh? So thank you again. <clears throat>